We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When Freedom Calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest-cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk, text, and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. This is Jeff from Seattle, and I just need more. So I went to patreon.com slash partners in crime media, and I got more every week. Join me. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, he fleeced his flock. So if Father Ryan Scott wasn't actually a man of God, who was he? We'll discuss smokescreen, fake priest. Then it was a water park focused on crazy rides and little concern for safety. And I have the scars to prove it. We'll review Class Action Park from HBO Max. Joining me to get that done is my true crime co-author, former TV journalist and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is a journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, certified cat lady, and future pet detective, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, Rebecca. I love that last one. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, host of the hit Strange Arrivals podcast, which, by the way, is about UFOs, our best friend and lovable negative Nelly, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Uh, Lara, I just want to tell you something. Um, Our producer, Henry Lavoie, who I've never met, but apparently he's a really good producer. He's a good-looking guy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He was editing our show last week, and he came up to me in the midst of the edit, and he said, "Uh, Ms. Lavoie, (laughs) I just want to tell you, one of the things that I find really amusing is that during this pandemic, Lara Bricker has made it a project to become a caricature of Lara Bricker. (laughs) Just tell Henry that I am just trying to keep busy during the pandemic. So I am reinventing myself on a weekly basis over here. So As a what's caricature next, of yourself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we could take a bet or a poll on what the next caricature is going to be. It would be like if Toby became a certified cynic, if there were like a licensure <laughs> for that. You could actually get a diploma. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> a community college certificate program. Toby, what would your major be in that certificate program? Cynicism? <laughs> um, I think that's philosophy, right? Yes. Yeah, right, right. Yes. All right. Well, I think we should just get started and review this podcast, shall we? About damn time. <laughs> Let's do it. Once he possibly hands you a rosary or a coin and, and transfers that energy, you're hooked. Midwesterners knew Father Ryan Scott as the priest who built new abbeys, said masses in Latin, and owned llamas. But behind the scenes, he was swindling money from old ladies and keeping one step ahead of the law. That's because Father Ryan wasn't a priest at all. He took every single cent from that woman and it disappeared. This guy was accused of exploiting people, fraud, and abuse. This man spreads pain on levels that just fucking astound me. All of it while he claimed to save people's souls. In the new podcast, Smokescreen Fake Priest, investigator Alex Schumann explores Father Ryan's life of crime, from impersonation and embezzlement to the mysterious deaths of other priests. So who really is this religious con man, and why did he do it? I get how important faith is in that part of the country. But what I don't get is why Father Ryan isn't in jail. All right, so we are talking about the podcast, Smokescreen Fake Priest, and we're going to be discussing a few spoilers from that podcast. So if you want to remain spoiler-free about this story, go to the time code listed in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down, maybe thumb sideways reviews. All right, so I have a question for you, Kevin. Mm -hmm. Um, I have never heard of Alex Schumann or the production company behind this podcast. Right. But it is very stylized and well-made, right? Uh, Yeah, I'm actually liking... uh uh, the host, Alex, uh, is ex- Alex Schumann. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's one of the bright spots in this podcast. He's uh, very personable, has a great way of uh, of talking. You know, sometimes we get people doing these, you know, crime podcasts and they're a little overly serious, a little sanctimonious. He's not, he's very natural in a way that, you know, Sarah Canning was. And uh, he is making this story about Father Ryan, his journey and taking us along. So for that, um, I you know I think that uh, it's possible that you know he's a breakout star. Interesting, Toby. What do you think of the style of this podcast, sort of the way that it's presented? Kevin just compared it to one of the greatest podcasts of all time, Serial. I'm not sure I agree with that assessment. What do you think, Toby? I think we're going to play the feud. Um, <laughs> so, you know, my note to you, speaking of Serial, is that I, I feel like the music at the beginning, and I guess throughout, but it's struck me at the beginning seems very serial like but alex's voice it's really it's interesting that we let off with kevin talking about how naturally he thought it was because i thought it was super weird he stops in weird places and he emphasizes strange words and i was like who does this remind me of and i thought maybe keith morrison but hmm. i i don't watch a whole lot of that so i i can't say i'm a keith morrison expert hmm. But he did, He it felt like it was like a TV host's diction, hmm. you know? So the cadence was, was off. And I found that it, it didn't stay distracting throughout. But every once in a while, especially, he would just hit some sentence in a very strange way. Hmm. And I'd be like, I've literally never had a conversation with anybody who spoke anything like that. Hmm. Laura, what do you think about the delivery of this story? Yeah, so sorry, Kevin. But um, the first episode, I think I texted you guys. I'm like, I don't think I can go on. I oh, I just Saturday I, says. <laughs> <laughs> but the first episode I really struggled with the delivery and the writing and what I felt like just sort of these 
characterizations of things that like, oh, small town journalists. Well, well, this what he's good. And that doesn't usually happen at a small town journalist or something. And I was like, what? And then Ouch, there was no, you were like, yikes, you're talking about I me was, right there. I was like, small yikes. I've been a journalist. I know. And then like characterizing, oh, this is like a typical bachelor pad. Like to me, it, and I don't want this to sound wrong, but it's probably going to sound wrong. It reminded me of like, if I was listening to the frat house and the guy's like, hey, man, I went out. You're not going to believe what happened. Mm. This guy like made me do shots of vodka. He'll talk, sure. But on one condition. Whenever I ask him an extra hard question, I have to take a shot of vodka before he'll answer. So what kind of vodka is this? The cheapest fucking shit you can get in this state. Aristocrat. It's nasty. He wasn't kidding. We were drinking some straight, nasty vodka. So, Which, by the way, is an incredibly effective interview technique. Just take a shot of vodka every time I ask you a question. (laughs) I I mean, God knows what you're going to find out. (laughs) Yeah, podcasts get made, man. We could Um, play I Never. (laughs) So I'm going to land in between you, Kevin, and our friends who are connected to us remotely on the other side of the few dais here. I think Alex has a lot of personality and I think there are moments where he's writing very well for himself and really putting himself in the story in a way that works more like Dan Taberski than I'd say Sarah Koenig more in that sort of okay yeah yeah maybe I'll give you that yeah Yeah. that sort of like flexible you're with me in this style but there are other times where it's just exposition and for me it doesn't work Mm -hmm. and I think I'm just gonna tip my hand a lot of it has to do with the story choice here I'm just gonna tell you right now I will listen to the second podcast that Alex makes because I want to hear what story he picks. I think a lot of my issue with the writing and the sort of packaging of this podcast has to do with the story selection and the way that it's told. So let's talk about that. Laura Bricker, we have a story here. I mean, it's pretty simple story. This is the part of the, the podcast where I just kind of summarize what happens in the thing that we're reviewing. The thing that happens is a guy is pretending to be a priest and he builds a bunch of people out of a lot of money. That's what happens. And then he sort of has run-ins with some legal troubles and is able to get out of them. And the one thing we know about this guy is that he's free and uh, isn't right now paying any consequences. At one point, his uh, biological son appears in the story and sort of talks about becoming a crusader against his own father, trying to take down this con man that he um, is kind of ashamed to be related to. But That's basically the story. It's the story of a con man and sort of like the ins and outs of different cons that he perpetrates. So my question for you, Laura, is why now? Like, why are we hearing about this right now? That's my question, too, because I was listening to it. I'm like, is there something that happened? Is there something new? And I think the why now is just this guy is like, hey, this is kind of a wacky story. And this guy had some llamas and he built some old ladies and there's some crazy characters involved. This might be kind of interesting, but I just felt like I didn't really come away understanding why we're hearing it now. I think the premise at the beginning was like, why would anyone try to pull off such an elaborate con? Well, I so far, I don't really feel like that's been answered. I've just sort of heard a recounting of what happened. Mm. I guess I just didn't come away feeling like there was an urgency to be hearing this story at this point in time. Kevin, were you surprised to hear how common it is that people pretend to be priests, <laughs> especially in the it United States? It goes back thousands of years. <laughs> well, I mean, who doesn't love a good con man story? I mean, we just had one with the sneak, with Murph the Surf, R.I.P. Murph the Surf. Uh, oh, my God. The crime writers on Curse Strikes Again. Uh, just, we're going to talk about that in the after show, right? Yeah, just saying. Um, I, I think that those kinds of 
crimes are, you know, are interesting on a different level because, you know, they're partly intellectual. And like, how do we solve this challenge? And is this something I could do? And would I be duped in the same way as opposed to would I be robbed or, you know, murdered in my sleep? But yeah, you're right. I don't I, I don't feel like I have a sense of him, but I don't think I'm supposed to have a sense of hmm. Father Ryan. I think that the first episode really was, you know, enough of a teaser that uh, I, I want to keep going. I think I, I have some issues with sort of where the story goes in this sort of in, in the middle hmm. where we are right now. But, you know, I'm really intrigued by this guy because... When we see what he was collecting, spending the money, what he left behind when he fled an abbey, it's not the usual stuff. This guy isn't Paul Manafort. He wasn't buying, you know, ostrich suits and uh, sports cars. He had hundreds of statues and religious icons. And if he's not really a religious guy, why is he spending all this money on that? It's not a typical con man story. So I'm interested in it. Plus, they tease these two deaths death of a priest and another priest that may have died under mysterious circumstances. That's some good stuff that I want to get to. But they barely tease that. Like, that is not in no well, way... They, they, yeah. Yeah, it's in no way kind of highlighted throughout... We've listened to, like, five episodes of this podcast. Right. And I think Alex does a good job of sort of signposting that down the road, we're going to hear from Father Ryan because he got an interview with him. But I kind of keep forgetting when I hear about llamas... That, you know, that oh, there's also, <laughs> it's not a necessary nonviolent story. There's a, there's a chance here that this con man may also be a violent guy. And, and so I keep, I keep forgetting that. Hmm. And I think, I feel like maybe we should be reminded so we are uh, aware of the stakes the whole way through. Okay. Speaking of stakes, did anyone like not have any idea that before the big crash of 2008 or whatever, like... A llama from Argentina could go for north of a hundred thousand dollars. Toby Ball, were you even paying attention at that point? I was, yeah, I was paying attention. Um, <laughs> this is just kind of listening to, to Kevin talk. Is what kind of occurred to me is, I, I sort of feel like he doesn't identify the stuff that's really interesting about this story. The llama thing seemed like it might. It probably seemed when they were like, "Oh, okay, we'll do an episode on llamas. That'll be awesome." But it's really, it's not, at least what he got out of it, I didn't find very interesting at all. It's, it's like, just oh, a llamas detail, are, right? It's a detail. Llamas are kind of smart, and they're more expensive than you think they are. Okay, <laughs> and they, that's and they fine. can do the limbo. What you're hearing, and I swear to God, is a llama limbo contest. That's so many llamas trying to make up their own minds about this limbo already. I'm watching a video from a contest at the Iowa State Fair. People are seeing whose llama is trained well enough to make it under the limbo bar. But the thing that I thought was going to be kind of interesting, which he, he basically doesn't do anything about at all, is this idea of people who consider themselves traditional Catholics who want a Latin mass, who think that, you know, the changes in Vatican II diluted the church or whatever, which includes Mel Gibson, by the way. Yes. This is like a kind of interesting group, I think. And I think one of the interesting things is that Father Ryan identified them as a group that he could target mm. for this scam, and he sticks with it. And I think there's probably good reasons for it. I assume they're mostly older. They feel like their religion has left them to a certain extent. They're disenfranchised, right? And there's not, yeah, and there's just not a big infrastructure all over the country for traditional Catholics, I would assume. It seems like this is sort of fertile ground, maybe, for a con man. So 
that seems to me like that would be an interesting thing to explore, but we don't get hardly any of that. I agree. And instead, we get a lot of llamas. And then after the llama episode, it's a lot of sort of court stuff and, and wrangling about some money. And to be quite honest, that was when I was like, is there some reason why I'm supposed to be paying attention to this? Because it doesn't seem yeah. all that interesting. Wouldn't well, to- you find it interesting the priest had a uh, Playboy bunny tattoo? No. <laughs> Didn't? No. He he had been incarcerated. He had like a whole other life beforehand. No. Doesn't he start off with that? Where he's like, yeah, you know, I'm looking at... This is like kind of a, a shitty criticism. But he starts off describing a photograph. And that's like cliche number one, at least in fiction writing. He's wearing tight Wranglers with snakeskin boots and a black tank top. His hair looks blow-dried back. There's a bullet belt wrapped around his waist. And his expression is so confident. Whatever you do, for God's sake, do not start off describing a photograph. <laughs> <laughs> and so I heard it. I was just like, maybe it's a little bit different in, in journalism. But anyway, but I think I thought they talked about his tattoos on that. It's like, they did. They did. You would think he's got a tank top. He wouldn't think the next time you'd see him, he'd be wearing a priest collar. Toby, I'm going to just like tell you if this makes you feel better. I completely agree with you. I think the most interesting material in this podcast is glossed over like in a line or two when they're like traditional Catholics are upset that Vatican II, you know, decimated their way of worship and, and masses are done in Latin and they feel this way and that way. And that's it. Like, that's all we get of that whole storyline, which is actually kind of important and pivotal. And the other problem with the way the story is told that really bothers me is the podcast is completely front end loaded. Like in the first like couple minutes, he tells us Father Ryan is not a priest. He's lying. Right. And then all throughout the podcast, even as deep as like episode four and five, he's talking about these cons he's perpetrating. And he's like, you know, this old lady like Father Ryan helped her sell her house and he goes what kind of priest would help someone sell their house and i'm like yeah you've already told us he's not a priest like he's not that's what kind of priest would do it someone who wasn't actually so like all of those all the suspense that might be there is kind of taken away uh by the fact they tell us the whole story like in the first couple minutes now now laura i have a journalistic question for you yes um we mentioned it earlier alex's interview with jonathan brady the condition of the interview was that they would both drink very cheap vodka throughout the interview in order for alex to continue to be asking questions you've been a journalist for a long time kevin i'll get to you in a second would you accept those conditions of an interview yes or no No, Um, (laughs) no. I mean, this is not Anthony Bourdain on the Travel Channel. Okay, this is a (laughs) R.I.P. That would make sense. I love Anthony Bourdain, but I was listening to this and I was like, I mean, I can't say I've not gone out and done an interview and sat with somebody and had dinner and had a glass of wine or something. But this is like. This was clearly different because it's like the way that it was described. Again, I felt like I was listening to the frat house story of like, and then we sat around and did shots of vodka. I'm like, that just to me, and I I know Kevin felt differently. I listened to that and I was like, I can't even believe I'm hearing this right now. This just felt so off base to me. But Hmm. I know everybody has their own style and their own approach and maybe times have changed. But when I was like a full-time journalist, I would have gotten in so much trouble for that. Hmm. I, I, If my editor ever found out I did that, like even when I went to cover like events, if I covered like some sort of a dinner event or something, 
it was like, don't drink. Don't you eat know? the food. Yeah, you're not supposed to take anything. Yeah. Do they yeah. say, go to Blue yeah. don't eat the yeah. food, don't offer anything, don't take anything anyone offers you. That's kind of a journalistic tenant, right, Kevin? Tenant. Yeah. Yeah, this is an interesting episode, and I understand that it's a, it's journalistically dubious to sit there walk, because you actually don't want to be interviewing somebody that's inebriated right. because it, it then sort of calls into question the veracity of anything also that they're the saying. Also the consent, right. The consent. But I just I've never heard anything like that. And it's so colorful and I can see the scales just kinda of going back and forth, like trying to find the balance and it just a little bit more for me is like, yeah, I, I like it. So hate me, call me a hypocrite, but I kinda of thought it was a cool scene. And besides, I mean, it's not just because, I don't know, maybe the guy has a drinking problem, but he's explaining that he needs to get through this because his story is crazy. I want to ask you about that. His story is crazy. Do you feel like, okay, so we meet Father Ryan's son, Mm -hmm. and we're calling him Father Ryan, by the way, even though he's not a priest, because the podcast refers to him as Father Ryan the whole time, even though we know he's not a priest, right? It's in the title. We get it. Yeah. His biological son claims that his father basically took him from his biological mother and sold him as a child to another family. And he'd been passed around to friends and so forth. But then basically that his dad sold him and that, you know, for some exorbitant amount of money, like $150,000 allegedly or whatever. And that when he went on this journey to find his real family, he like found some old paperwork in his adopted mother's house. And then he shows up on Christmas Eve to his biological mother's house. Hi, my name's Jonathan. I'm your biological child. Drops her shit, goes running upstairs to the attic, yelling bullshit the whole fucking way. No, I mean literally just the word bullshit over and over and over again. Bullshit, 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 bullshit. Over and over again. Went running up to her fucking attic, comes tearing down the fucking steps and shows me my death certificate. That was his Christmas present. His own death certificate. So his story is that his father, Father Ryan, basically told his mother that he was dead when he sold him to his other family. Now, I'm not saying this isn't true. I am saying the podcast does no fact checking on this story. What do you think of this story? I mean, I I, I just I felt uncomfortable with the harrowing sort of nature of it and the fact that there was kind of no follow up to it to sort of like Give us the underpinnings of fact here. What did you think of that? Did you believe the story? Well, I mean, the guy drank a half a bottle of vodka, so it's obviously true. Do you believe he <laughs> believed it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It hasn't been verified. I have no reason to believe he's being duplicitous about it. It, pro- it is probably how it happened, but... If it had been fact-checked, that wasn't made clear to the audience. Right, right. So what do you think of that? The fact, I mean, let, assuming well, let's it's assume true. let's assume it's all true. Let's though, assume that. Yeah. I, it's a, Like I said, it's insane. It's a crazy story, but it also you know gives a little in, insight as to not only who Jonathan Brady is, but his father. Hmm. Uh, you know, the kinds of things that he is capable of doing. His duplicitousness. Hmm. I had, I'm sorry, I did shots of vodka before. <laughs> I'm all messed up. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, if, if you are willing to do 
that kind of thing than pretending to be a priest who says masses in Latin for 20 years is Now, that's not impressive, a actually. It did occur to me, by the way. That to say the masses in Latin, you have to like learn the masses in Latin. I mean, I guess you could yeah. read them, right? I guess you could memorize it. You know, I do like the one scene Dominus of that Fobiscum like bitches. that like small town was it the cop guy who like went to the church because his friend told yeah. him to go, and he's like the whole mass is in Latin, and I didn't understand any of it. But I stayed for snacks afterwards. That's right. <laughs> it's like, welcome to like 1,500 years of the Catholic Church. <laughs> what did I miss? I'd stay for snacks. <laughs> well, who wouldn't? And maybe some of that wine. I don't know. Catholic snacks are not like, you, the Lutherans got all the good snacks. And you know, as a Catholic yeah. yourself, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. I was just told to stay away. <laughs> all right. I was told to stay away from the Protestants by Sister Agnes. <laughs> Let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Smokescreen Fake Priest? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? Uh, I didn't hate this podcast, but I really didn't like this podcast. And I think the last episode, I actually tried to listen to it twice because I was just kind of faded off and lost interest and wasn't following along. So, you know, we've had a lot of con man type podcasts. So there's like Dirty John and those type of podcasts. And if it's told in a compelling way where the big reveal happens at the end, it's it's a little bit more of a narrative storytelling type podcast where you're going to want to keep listening. And this in this case, like Rebecca pointed out, we knew up front. And then there were some crazy details. I mean, I'll give it that. It's a crazy story. But I just, I didn't love it. So I don't really want to give it a thumbs down, but I'm going to go a thumbs down. All right. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Smokescreen Fake Priest? I realize that there's a definite possibility that there'll be some good stuff to come, like Kevin was talking about, that was teased before. Uh, but I also, you know, it, it's easy for me to imagine being excited by the potential of the story and then wanting to pursue it. And then it just not turning out to be everything that you kind of thought it was. If it was me, I think they could have even done it from the victim standpoint and talk about how in this sort of odd, as you were saying, disenfranchised or isolated community, this con man shows up and, and, and does this stuff. But just as it is, I think it would have been really interesting hour, hour and a half. But some of it just didn't seem like there were stakes involved and it just didn't hold my attention. So I, again, I'm sort of reluctantly giving it a thumbs down. I hope he makes a second season with a different topic, which I assume would be better. Mm. Kevin, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Fake Priest? Well, I'm I'm going to do something I don't usually do, which is go thumbs sideways. <gasps> I well, feel like we need like a dramatic well, twist, like music sting there. That has never <laughs> happened no. in the five plus year history of this podcast. I don't remember you ever giving anything no, a I, I did a reason. ever. I, I did it recently. Yeah, I, I, we all did a thumb sideways, I think. Oh, this is, I, it's, to me, but, it's like unimaginable. Because you're always saying well, to me, like up or down, sideways is bad. Well, um, I only go that way because I feel like it's incomplete. I feel like, you know, sometimes we do a, a a review midway through a series because we want to get people excited about it and it's hot. And I'm so I thought we would all like this a lot better than we did. I thought it was a very strong beginning. I think it kind of the part about the commune and the desert and the llamas are not as interesting as they might appear to be. They're important probably to the biography of Father Ryan, but I feel like the end is going to be stronger. I feel like this is a great example of why some podcasts should come out weekly and others should be dropped all at once like a Netflix show. Mm. Because if I could binge it, 
I'd be like, okay, that one wasn't so great, but maybe the next one, and I was really hooked in the beginning. If you listen to sort of a mediocre episode, a week later, when it comes back in your feed, are you really excited nope. to hear it? And then if you're too behind, and it, it really drops off. I feel like if it was all there, I would have gone right to the end. I really like Alex. Alex, let's be friends. I'm sorry it's a thumb sideways, but you know, good luck at the end. I think we're going to hear more stuff from him. Yeah, I am where you are, except I have decided to go thumbs down this week, uh. which when I first listened to episode one, I, I didn't think I was going to do thumbs down because I was like, oh, this is a very exciting new production company that I don't know anything about. Uh, I think that the the mixing is very strong. The podcast sounds really good. They use music well. They use some of my favorite Blue Dot Sessions music, which I'm like down with. And Alex has, I think, a very interesting and um, kind of singular voice. You know, my favorite favorite part of the podcast was that he was in what this is gonna sound crazy i love ad delivery was really good i like, loved his like hello fresh ads honestly i felt like i got a lot of like who he is and i'm like bring that guy to the next story tell a story that you relate to a little more closely that's maybe a little closer to who you are and it would just be a lot better i just don't think the story is particularly interesting yeah guys pretending to be a priest the podcast tells us this is a very common crime. Lots of people pretend to be priests. And the people who are victims of this that we've heard from so far kind of like got recognition for having been victims. They, you know, won lawsuits in court. Like there's like a lot of just minutia about the lady almost wrote her kids out of a will, but then didn't because it was caught in time. I don't know. It's just not that interesting to me. So even though it's well put together, and Alex, I also would like to be friends. I'm sorry. You got to give your podcast a thumbs down for Fake Priest. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest-cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk, text, and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free. Moving on. Kevin, we have some business we need to do. Yes. Coming up on our Crime Writers on Patreon after show available right now. We're going to talk about a couple of topics Carol Baskin, our friend from The Lion King, The Tiger King. Meow. <laughs> I don't know how I messed that up. Is now a star. 
on Dancing with the Stars. We'll talk a little bit about how we feel about that. Plus, we will fill our listeners in on an incredible exotic cat story that took place right here in New Hampshire. And Kevin, we have to mourn the latest victim of the Crime Writers on Curse. Oh, my God. We're going to be talking about the death of Murph the Surf and how we managed to kill approximately 25% of the people that we talk about on this podcast. We do have a real kiss of death. <laughs> by talking them about them on this podcast. Uh, R.I.P. Murph the Surf. Actually, the pandemic is partly our fault. It is. Is we it? Did, yeah, don't you remember? Oh, we'll talk about yeah, that. Talk, Save right, it for right, the right, after yeah, show. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, do we have, I should ask, do we have any Patreon, Patreon Saints of the Week this week? We do, and I was going to give their names in Latin, but I, <laughs> I won't. It's uh, Jackie Beck and Bliss Peterson. Bliss Peterson. Bliss is an you. amazing name. Yeah. It's an amazing name. One other thing, uh, Mark Barone uh, emailed me, and she, he said that his wife, Allison, that we're her favorite podcast, and her birthday's coming up, and, <gasps> and he wanted me to um, wish her happy birthday, and I have to say, Mark, we don't do that in our podcast, so <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. It's kind of completely inappropriate. Kind of selfish of you to ask everybody. Mark. who If you've got tens of thousands of people who listen, if we had to say happy birthday to all of them. What's her name? It's Allison. I cannot from believe Uxbridge. Mark wanted Allison to get a happy birthday from us in this podcast. The oh, hubris that he must bullshit. have. I know. Oh my god. I mean, god. we already talking about everybody's fucking cat. I mean, come on. Allison, Mark! you need, Allison. You're killing me, Mark. Allison, you need to talk to your husband Mark and tell him that it's really inappropriate, Allison, to have us say happy birthday, Allison. On this podcast. I don't know what Mark was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm thinking. It's about 700 people said, wait a minute, my birthday's coming up. Uh, <laughs> hello, my birthday is in like two, three hours from now. Really? Wait, what? Tomorrow's your birthday from this Tomorrow's taping? my birthday. Are you Allison? Yes. Oh my goodness. Happy birthday, Laura Brecker. What Thank do you want, you. by the way? Thank is it too you. late to send you a gift? No, I mean, I would like my cat to come home, but um, neighbor Dan is building me a cat house for my remaining cats, so that's nice. a pretty good Oh, I'd love to have a cat house. <laughs> <laughs> Toby, should we go to Laura's cat house? I don't think that, that word means awesome. what you think it means, Laura Brecker. <laughs> you, can, you can sit in it. It's big enough you can sit in it, Kevin, if you want. That's what she oh, said. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> uh, Mark, this is your fault. Happy anyway, birthday, Lara. Happy birthday, Lara. Let's talk Laura. about that in the after show, too. Oh, yeah, Let's well, continue this. I a little this. bit about Lara and her cat house. All right, we should just promo a couple things coming up on Patreon. Oh, yeah. We just talked about what's going on in the after show. Toby, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to be recording another book club soon, right? What's gonna, that one going to be about? Uh, yeah, by the time this hits, I will have already done it. It is on Bad Blood by John Carreyrou, which is about the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos business. Elizabeth Holmes and her Theranos. Theranos business? Yes. Exactly. We're all going to talk like that, too. Okay. <laughs> what are you talking about, Toby? Uh, I think I just told you. I'm not even going to freaking pretend to do that. You, uh, Toby, you don't have to lower your voice to be as low as Elizabeth Holmes. Your voice is already lower than hers. You can just talk like you. And I'll yeah. talk like this. Well, that's perfect. Uh, so anyway, longtime listener, Nanita Cranford, who is a... Is in the medical industry. She is. Um, she's going to be on it. And then Dr. Scott from LA Not So Confidential and Amber Hunt from Accused. So it'll be a good group. And um, yeah, by the time this drops, it'll have been recorded. 
and we'll drop sometime soon. Right. And Laura Bricker, what are you working on for Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast? I am working on the mystery of the dove in Exeter. A mysterious white dove. Nobody knows where it came from. I'm getting to the bottom of it. Another animal mystery. And Kevin Flynn, we're going to be taping a new Marrying with podcast soon, right? It's true. So if you sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, yes, you get four bonus podcasts. Toby's Book Club, Lars Leave it to Bricker, Married with Podcast, My and Kevin's Outstanding Advice Podcast, in which we give only outstanding advice. And of course, the Crime Writers on After Show. So head on over now to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And thus ends our business. Moving on. Moving on. It's not really fair to ask the question, what was Action Park? Basic level, you can say it was a water slide park. But in truth, it was so much more than a water slide park. In 1978, disgraced financier Eugene Mulvihill opened a water park in New Jersey filled with questionably designed rides run by teenagers. The park's young customers freely controlled race cars and motorboats and were catapulted through souped-up water slides like the Cannonball Loop. And it, and it looked like it was something out of like a Bugs Bunny or a Roadrunner cartoon where they just made a loop and said, yeah, there's our ride. Some lunatic clearly just was like, build me a slide that's like that. And then they didn't consult anybody who had a background in engineering. Bruised and scraped visitors to Action Park were regularly subjected to burning hot asphalt, rides with few safety measures, and a general sense of jeopardy that no insurance company would cover. Action Park was the chaos summer park with very little oversight, too much alcohol, whistles blowing, people screaming, motors running... It was an energy. Through the eyes of former staff, visitors, and comedians, HBO Max's Class Action Park chronicles the legend of this attraction where visitors were injured every day and even drowned or were electrocuted. But this raucous tale pivots when we learn more about Mulville Hill's unethical practices and meet the family of a young guest who was killed when thrown from a ride. We're going to be giving spoilers for Class Action Park, so if you don't want to hear them, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Now, can I just start this, which I never normally do? Yeah. I am an adult survivor of Action Park. (laughs) It's very brave of you to say. I just want to tell you guys, I am a survivor. I have the ribbon. I take it out once a year. Um, So Action Park, as you see in this documentary, I can personally tell you, was bananas, scary, and I almost died there. And my prepubescent boobs got squished there to the point where I didn't think they were ever going to grow again. What happened? <laughs> oh, my uh, well, God. <laughs> two things happened that I remember very clearly. Uh, my uh, weekend dad, because I, my parents were divorced, so I had like a, a very typical weekend dad who on the weekends when he'd have us would take us to like amusement parks and stuff. Mm-hmm. We'd go to a place called Great Adventure, which was a Six Flags park all the time in New Jersey. And one summer, just to like switch it up. One weekend, we went to Action Park, and I think, like, he thought, hey, this is just like Great Adventure, except it's a water park. No. So, Great Adventure had a rapids ride, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Action Park had the Colorado rapids ride, which, you know, I guess he, the adult, thought would be the same. And we got in, and I would just very clearly remember being in a tube by myself at, like, maybe 10 years old. 
up against a rock, unable to extricate myself from the like 20 teenagers that were just like also stuck against the rock around me that had like <laughs> smushed me up against the rock. I remember just like screaming and crying and like thinking I was going to die. And then I also remember riding that triple bump water slide with like you like basically got on a towel and ride down the thing. Hey, was that the kamikaze? And oh you, my God. you fly off of it, yeah. like one of the bumps, and you just like slam onto your belly. And I just remember very strongly the feeling of my tiny little prepubescent boobs being like shoved through my back. It was horrible. They recovered. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, Laura Bricker, can you believe this place was real? Because it was. No, that, that, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I can't even believe that this was real. And I think that's the point of all of this. It's like, I feel like I'm watching that show Jackass on MTV. Like when I watch this, I'm like, this. How how did this happen? But I think it's the 80s. And granted, I grew up in the middle of nowhere and we didn't have anything like this around us. We just had the whale's tail and like nothing like this happened at the whale's tail. So I think it's just the point of a different time, a different generation. But even by those standards, this is pretty freaking nuts. Well, it's funny, Kevin, earlier tonight, our producer and my son, Henry, was saying that like he couldn't imagine a childhood where like this would exist and he'd be allowed to go. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, wait a minute, you go down to like the river in town and swing on a like hoopty rope swing that somebody hung there. And like that's unsupervised. Well, that was Henry's point was that like that wasn't hung by an adult who was charging tickets. That's actually (laughs) his teenage danger. Are there a bunch of guys like screaming that he's a pussy and stuff? <laughs> pussy! You'd like hit the back of your head on the water. No lifeguard would jump in to help you. The water's ice cold. You come up for air. You're all shell-shocked. You're probably concussed. And you have like 150 people from New Jersey just being like, Pussy! You fucking bitch! You fucking wiped out pussy! And that's like when it's at its classiest. So can you imagine this place actually existed, Kevin? The idea that this place existed at all. Half of the half of the humor is from all of these people telling their stories. And and part of it is the, the idea that we know that this was ridiculous that this existed, that people allow this to go on, that it's so incredibly out there. That's what makes it funny to the absurdness of it all. I did like uh, the, Chris Gethard. Chris Gethard. And when he was talking about the Tarzan swing and being dumped into like ice cold water. It was like 40 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Can we just talk about that for a second? Toby, you know, it is hard to hang on something and hold your own body weight, right? That's like the thing that some people just can't do. Right. There are a tremendous number of rides at Action Park that rely on the guests being swung over something incredibly dangerous. Rebecca, you control the action. While only holding on by themselves <laughs> to their yeah. their own body weight and hanging. Toby, did you ever go to a place like this when you were a kid or would your parents have let you do so? Um, no. I mean, we weren't like <laughs> we weren't like an amusement park family certainly and uh one of the things that this whole thing had me th- thinking about was just I, I think there was a little more independence mm. in the eighties for kids. Yes. Like I remember like we used to take an aluminum boat, you know, just like a little aluminum boat with a fifteen horsepower engine from where we were on on the island uh, to this place Weir's Beach, which had all these arcades and stuff. But it's a long, you know, it was like a twenty minute drive in the boat on like a lake at night. And I can't imagine letting my kids do that. But mm. my parents, it just didn't never seem like that was much, there was much of a question about us doing it. Mm. It's lunacy, but at the same time, it just seems super 80s. Yeah. Um, 
and it doesn't surprise me in its lunacy. I mean, it just, it seems like it's the nth degree of something that was sort of pervasive in the culture. Yeah. Well, one thing that I think, too, I mean, one of the things that's interesting about um, Eugene Mulvihill was he came from this, like, junk bond trading where, like, nothing had any meaning and everything was just sort of empty and you were just making money and, like, it was all like a shell, right? Mm -hmm. And so was the business, you know, structure of Action Park. Laura, I mean, he made up a fake insurance company that was insuring his real water park, but he wasn't insured. I mean, he just made up a fake insurance company. And then he would do this thing where he just, you know, use the tactic, which works to this day. You hear people doing this, uh, just making people who had complaints go to court. Like he would take each and every case to the ends. People sort of stopped having these complaints. But the fake insurance company, the relentless flouting of environmental and zoning regulations just because he could and did like. Mm-hmm. He is a con man that I think, you know, unlike the thing we just reviewed, yeah. you know, there's just more to it, right? Like in terms of the consequences and the scope. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, Traction Park, I mean, that people were getting hurt left and right just because he was, you know, doing this tap dance and like all these smoke and mirrors to dissuade people from moving on. He he was good at that. There was like two sides to this. And I don't feel like they really quite went together. Like we had the side of like this kind of off the chart charts, 80s, throwback to like crazy teenage times. And then you have this like legitimate side where like people are getting hurt. This guy's totally getting away with this. He's got the fake insurance and he's not really being held accountable. I mean, he Mm. is, but he isn't. I mean, the freaking cattle prod. What was that? (laughs) That was an awesome story. Oh, if they complain, we're just going to zap them with a cattle prod? We're going to pretend. Somebody standing in a puddle. What could go wrong? (laughs) Oh, my God. Kevin, what did you think of the fact that this park owner interfered with the ride design process and basically designed a lot of these rides himself? Well, I mean, that's like sort of like where this park starts to go wrong, right? I mean, it's just like uh, somebody doesn't have any idea about engineering, decides he's going to make this loop-de-loop water slide. And yeah, I mean, part of it is, I don't want to use the word sociopath. It's thrown around too much, and I don't think that's what he is. I do. (laughs) He seems to have a real lack of care for other people in this sense that people were getting hurt. He liked the idea that, you know, the rides were crazy and he was going to make them more and more nuts. And the whole story about, like, the first rides of the cannonball loop are nuts. The first couple people that came in came out and their mouths were all bloody. And that was before they had put sufficient padding in the top. There was a little bit. So they sent a couple other people down. And when those people came down, they came down with lacerations. They couldn't figure out why these people had lacerations from a giant loop. Then they took the loop apart and they found teeth stuck in the padding from the first couple people that went down the slide. They had gotten their teeth knocked out. And these other people were just going up and ripping into it. They do sort of play that for laughs. You know, the the stories about the motorboats and how people would just like crash into each other on purpose. And there's mm. like oil spills and snakes, snakes in the in the, you know, the moats with the motorboats right next to the bar, by the way, that was right in the Motor City yeah. area. Um, I remember the first time I rode um, an alpine slide here in New England. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, the sides on this alpine slide are really high. And I thought that because the only other alpine slide I'd ridden was at Action Park. 
dark, which had like no sides. Like they were like basically daring you to. You fly control off. the action. I know, which did happen, and th- and that sort of takes us to the other part of this documentary. The first half of the documentary is very much played for laughs and nostalgia. We have all this fun animation of like the amusement park map that's used to sort of illustrate you know different aspects mm. of the park. But then the second part of the documentary takes a turn where we hear about a family whose son died in Action Park because of an injury sustained on that very alpine slide. I was thinking I couldn't live with that kind of pain. It just hurt so much. And here, 39 years later, I can still feel that pain. Toby, what did you think of the shift of the tone of this documentary? Well, I think that's the big question about this documentary, is that shift. And can you go from this sort of zaniness to genuine tragedy And then this sort of pathological refusal to make any accommodations to prevent them in the future. I I really liked the documentary, but this, I, I can't think of another thing that we've reviewed that asks you to make such a change in sort of tone of what you're watching, it then doesn't really do much to resolve the two things, I would say. Yeah. There's no, there's no at the end, like trying to draw some conclusion about how you can have these two different things going on in the same story. So yeah, I I kind of felt like it was unresolved. And it it was a little strange. The, The former employees were definitely like, wow, you know, that was kind of fucked up. And you know, this was kind of crazy and looking back on it and all this stuff. But there didn't seem to be anybody who was like, oh, shit, you know, we killed people. Right. Like, even if they weren't personally responsible, like, I just think if I'd worked at a place like that, I mean, this is an amusement park. It's got no value other than people having fun. And if I was working at a place like that and multiple people died, I feel like that would be like the main thing that I would remember and want to talk about. Yeah. (laughs) You know, is is how wrenching that was. But Unless I'm forgetting something, I don't think anybody no. talked about that at all. But that has a lot to do with the fact that they basically chose comedians to do the exposition of the Action Park part. As a it. guest, yeah, yeah. The, along with former staff. We didn't have... There was a former lifeguard who said she heard about that and she said, ah, that was like, well, that's that wasn't my department, right. my division, so I didn't care about it. I think you can separate yourself from it because I didn't work in that department. <laughs> I thought that's somebody else's responsibility. But it was a common occurrence. I don't know how many people died at Action Park, but it wasn't just one person. Yeah, and as Chris Gethard said, nobody should be the second person to die in the wave pool. The fact that more than one person died in your wave pool, who's that second son of a bitch? That's who your heart really bleeds for. No, Nobody should ever be the second person to die in a wave pool. You know why? Because after the first person dies in a wave pool... Close the fucking wave pool. After the first one died. Right, but this guy didn't even die in the wave pool. He died on the alpine slide. So obviously there yeah. were multiple deaths. There was at least, at least you know, more than three. What did you think of the shifting tone, Kevin? Well, I mean, I think very much like the alpine slide, the, um, the documentarians failed to negotiate this curve. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, this is like my one big knock on this is that, yeah, it was a very difficult shift. And especially, it's like, it's really only the last... 25 minutes, Mm. right? So two-thirds of this is this, you know, meatballs story about teenagers running a water park with rides that, you know, were banging up people, and the only thing they could do is 
you know, spray binaca on them or some kind of crazy shit. Oh, my on their, God. Yeah. The, the, the medical cut story. Yeah. 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 And then, like, you said, oh, yeah, they had two ambulances. They had to buy themselves. Oh, my God. Oh, that guy who, uh, you know, was in traction. Oh, it's, and then we get to Esther Larson and her story, and it's very sad. And uh, I, I couldn't quite put my finger what was sort of wrong with that, but the transition to it was just a, a little too abrupt. And and Toby's right; that tension doesn't get resolved. Yeah, I didn't know how to feel. How about you, Laura? Did you know how to feel with no. the turn this documentary took? No, because the first part—I mean, the animation and everything—I just felt like gave it such a such a wacky tone. Like it felt a little bit. Remember that movie, Better Off Dead? I mean, that had some animation yeah. in it too. Yeah. And so I felt like I was watching something like that, and then. And I don't know how you could shift the tone because when people are going back on that nostalgia of what this place was like, I mean, it's like the war stories. Like we all have these stories, when, and not for me to this degree, but when you look back at high school, things that you're like, I can't believe I'm still alive. And then unfortunately, there's some people that aren't. But that transition was just, uh, it, it was it was hard. And I felt like, and then it ended sort of abruptly. We just like see this poor family out by the grave and there you go. Yeah. You know? You know like they did in the, the Last Dance, which was the Michael Jordan Chicago oh, Bulls thing. Oh, so good. Where at some points they take out an iPad and make people watch things other people yes, said. Yes, that was so I good. I think like if they did something like that with all these people who've been laughing at this experience all this time and at the end showed them that and made them respond mm. because nobody responds, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's left to the audience to it's respond. It's left to us and you, you don't feel, know how to feel. Yeah. Right. And you're like, gosh, I was just laughing at this nuttiness. Right. I thought it was funny that people would swing off the uh, Tarzan swing and then show their dick and ball <laughs> on the way down. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's funny. Uh, and it a lot of the stuff is objectively funny, but it's also objectively tragic. Yeah. And you're right. We're not guided. Through yeah. It. And it's okay to not know how to feel, but like, it's not only that I didn't know how to feel, I actually felt bad about not knowing how to feel in a way that like you know wasn't challenging it was just weird Toby I have one final question for you Uh, imagine living like in a quiet rural town in the you know beautiful mountains of New Jersey which by the way there are parts of New Jersey that are very beautiful a lot of people don't know that but it is called the Garden State and much of New Jersey is farmland and much of it is mountainous and it's quite beautiful when you get away from the parts that aren't what do you think about living in like this little rural place and all of a sudden there's a playboy club and then this thing action park what do you think about that is it like a zoning problem Uh, yeah well it must have felt nuts for people who lived there for very long. Mm. We actually, we lived down in Southern Jersey in the late 70s, like right outside Atlantic City. And then when the casinos came, we left like before they really hit, but it was about to undergo a transformation on like a bigger scale. But yeah, I mean, it's got to change just the nature of your environment. Yeah. And especially they talk about these young, you know, teenage guys showing up basically just like looking for trouble. Yep. And so suddenly you go from having this, I guess, quiet town to drunk teenagers, you know, (laughs) wandering around with their short shorts and no shirts and big high tops looking to cause some mayhem. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Class Action Park? It's a pretty short documentary, about an hour and a half long. It's available now on HBO Max. And I think it might come to regular HBO at some point. But check out your HBO Max app. If you're an HBO subscriber, you can watch it there. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Get the free trial if you don't. Thumbs up or thumbs down for Class Action Park. I'm 
going thumbs up just because it was so unusual. It was something that I hadn't heard anything about. Unlike you, Rebecca, I had never heard of this place. And I was just mesmerized watching that first half of it that all of this went on the way it did. So, I mean, it was it was short. It was like an hour and a half. You know what? We've got a lot of pandemic left. This was definitely something that was unique and interesting. And uh, I would say give it a watch. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Class Action Park? Yeah, you know, I'm going to give it a thumbs up because the first two thirds of it is is wildly entertaining. And then the last third of it is sort of like the real consequences. And then this sort of bizarre fizzle out at the end where they kind of talk about how it changed hands and what it is now. And then you see the last little bit of, of the tragic aspect of things. So I, I just feel like it's at its best, it's it's really good, but it's it's more obviously flawed than a lot of stuff that we do. And I think Kevin had a good suggestion for how, how you address that. But how, how do you reconcile the fact that, you know, you're kind of celebrating this lost time when teenagers could run this insanely dangerous park and people could show up and be rowdy and most people had a good time and a lot of people got a little dinged up, but then a few people got killed. And the way it kind of comes off in this is, well, that like 100% sucked for them and it's a tragedy. But at the same time, all these other people were having a great time and look at this colorful guy who was running it. And so it's it's a little strange, but I'll give it a thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm also going thumbs up. Uh, yeah, the I mean, it is terribly entertaining. I'm kind of reminded a little bit of Tiger King in the sense that it has some moral flaws, the way it's put together, but it is incredibly entertaining. Mm. Um, and I think the animation, too, is fantastic. It's very sort of schoolhouse rock, minimalist, but they just capture the examples of weightlessness and defying gravity in a way that is so funny. Yet all the tales are just unbelievable about the things that happened and the way people we're getting hurt and the idea that nobody was ever going to do anything to change that. And, you know, you could also just die and that wouldn't change anything. We're just going to keep the wave pool open. We're just going to spray you down with some antiseptic, you know, when you half the skin comes off your thigh. And you're supposed to have battle scars and things like that from going to Action Park. And in the end, it makes you feel bad for laughing. Hmm. So going into it, you know, you say, well, we're going to do this and it's going to be a funny look. It was it's very hard to balance that. So very good. You'll enjoy it. You'll talk about it. And then you'll feel bad for laughing about it. Yeah, I'm giving a thumbs up, too. I can't say it any better than you guys did. I felt bad. I felt good. It was entertaining. And then I felt weird. Uh, very, very flawed, but still quite good and worth watching, I think. How about that? Isn't that weird? Very, very flawed, but still worth watching. That's Class Action Park, man. I think you just described our Facebook watch show. (laughs) We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. 
Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free. All right, now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, week. the week. Wow, you sound amazing. You Thank really you. do. Thank you. Kids these days. Kids. A deputy in Douglas County, Georgia, was trying to serve some papers to a homeowner when a goat jumped into her cruiser. The deputy says she always leaves her car door open in case she needs to flee from vicious dogs. While she was knocking on the door, the goat climbed in and started eating all of her paperwork. At first, she couldn't coax or push the domesticated goat from the front seat. He kept chewing away on the stack of summonses. Then the little guy headbutted her in the knees, knocking her to the ground so he could finish his snack. The video shows the deputy laughing throughout the silly encounter. She was not hurt. Neither was the goat who just wanted to take a bite out of crying. So, panel, disorderly conduct. Good cop, bad cop. (laughs) Disorderly conduct by livestock should not be tolerated. What should this goat's punishment be for interfering with the law? Laura Bricker, a wildlife cam owner, what do you think? Uh, I think it should have to go hang out with some llamas for a week. (laughs) They're expensive. (laughs) But not like the fancy llamas, like some like low rent, like $500 llamas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See how the other half lives. Toybo, what do you think this goat's punishment should be? Uh, Pleats me, Rebecca. (laughs) Pleats me? That was a pun. That was Kevin. Wow, Toby, that was clever. That was bad. What do you think? That was bad. Uh, I think they should take that goat and I think they should send him down that uh, cannonball loop water slide from (laughs) Class Action Park. Park. Yeah. Yeah, I think they should make the goat watch like some episode of Top Chef where the quick fire challenge is, you know... (laughs) Paper? Oh, goat, okay. (laughs) Chefs, your challenge today is to take a criminal goat. Stuff it with some legal paperwork. (laughs) All right, we should probably end it on that note, but before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? The cat of the week this week is a dog, Rebecca. (gasps) My favorite kind of cat. Yes. (laughs) And the dog is named Sadie and it belongs to Carrie Martin. It is a yellow lab. The most patient dog in the world is allowing Muffin, the four-month-old kitten, to nurse for hours. Nice. And I thought, you know what? That's really nice. The world is going to shit. But it's really nice to see two different animals like that getting along. And by the way, it's really adorable. The dog just lays there and the cat is very cute. And it used to be a feral cat. So I Hmm. have a soft spot for the ferals, you know. Listen to that, like interspecies nursing. It is. And there's a video and I'm watching it again. And it's just, it's kind of mesmerizing. So I would suggest go into our Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group and watch the video from Carrie Martin. All right, Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you and tell you that their dog deserves to be cat of the week. 
How can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach out and tell you how you should feel after watching Class Action Park. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and give you tips on becoming a fake priest, how can they find you on Twitter? <laughs> I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And you can watch this very podcast on our new show produced exclusively for Facebook Watch. Find it by searching your app or at facebook.com slash watch slash Crime Writers on Podcast. Join us on our official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. It is a safe space. It is a fun space. And everyone there is awesome because I kick out the people who are not. You can support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you'll get our after show, Married with Podcast, Toby's Book Club, and Laura's Leave it to Bricker Podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. Our line editor is the very handsome Henry Lavoie, assisted by Olivia Burdett. Our social media and newsletter maven is fellow Taco Bell stan, Meredith Plunkett. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement, which, like the Cannonball Loop, has an escape hatch in case anyone gets stuck. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Oh my god. It's like clowns in a Volkswagen over here. It's don't don't use my boob as a handle. For God's sakes. Alright, we're just gonna have to He's show. legit doing that thing that like men do where they pretend they need a handle and they just like use your boob. I don't <laughs> know. Reporting that you move. to HR. <laughs> Toby doesn't know that move. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay.